Genesis chapter 2 this morning. We're starting a new series today, and it is a series that brings together some of my very favorite things, summer and vacation and the Bible. I've always loved summer, the sunshine, the heat, the pool, a big fan of vacation as well, at least when it comes to traveling, exploring different places. I've always been eager to go and explore a new place, but It's also good when you go and you find that place, even if it's like thousands of hundreds or thousands of miles from home, that just kind of even feels like home. You're like, ah, this is my place, right? I love, so I love summer, I love vacations, and I love God's Word, which I was taught from an early age, including in an environment that brought all these things together as well. One we talked about a little bit earlier, one coming up here in a few weeks, and that is Vacation Bible School. VBS is where I first believed in Jesus, trusting that He is the one who prepares a place for us. Many of you might be able to say the same thing, or maybe you would point to a summer camp that you attended, maybe even some of our students who attended camp this past week. So what we're going to do over the next couple months, though, with this summer vacation series, as many of you know, we'll be going on vacations of your own over the next couple months as school's out, but we're going to be doing some traveling here on Sunday mornings as well. Each Sunday morning as we gather, we're going to be visiting a different biblical location, and we're really just going to ask this one same question at each stop we make, and that is, what does God have to show us here? The fact that we find these places recorded, many of them repeatedly in the pages of Scripture, remind us of an important reality, that these are places that are important because they're places where God has been and where God is at work. We can't escape that the story of the Bible is one located both geographically and historically, that the men and women in the Bible are, like us, people of the times and places in which they lived, and they're profoundly shaped by those realities, for good or for bad. And so, although the place we're from, our starting point might not be determinative, right? Where we start doesn't necessarily determine where we're going to wind up. We do know that it will impact the way that we get there. And so, this morning, we're going to start at the beginning of the story of the Bible, begin our journey there in Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden, where we begin to learn what's true really throughout the Bible, and that is this, that God prepares a place for us. And so as I read, I invite you to follow along with me in your Bible, Genesis chapter 2, or if you're feeling like you're good and wide awake this morning, you can close your eyes and kind of go in your imagination to the scene that's unfolding as we read in Genesis 2, beginning in verse 5 this morning. And so let's read that I'll read it for us here, beginning in verse 5. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man 
and put him in the garden of Eden to keep work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we go this morning to the Garden of Eden. We see this one truth that we're going to kind of see carrying us through our time together this morning, and that is that God prepares a place for us. God prepares a place for us. If you've ever hosted house guests for an overnight stay, you know on some level what's meant by those words to prepare a place. Maybe you have in your home a dedicated guest room where all that needs to happen for guests to come and stay are the Sheets need to be refreshed, and then, all right, let's be honest, the pile of laundry also needs to be folded and put away, and all that clutter that's kind of filled that room, you've got to kind of make some room for your guests to come in. Or maybe you have a space that just needs to be converted in some way, but either way, there's food that needs to be supplied, many other things that go into hosting those who are coming to stay, whether that's for a brief stay or for a more permanent situation. Maybe this morning a better analogy would be that of new parents, though, who are preparing the nursery for their coming child, preparing a space specifically for the one they love. And what we see unfolding in Genesis 2 is like those preparations we might make, but at the same time, it's not inhibited by the limitations we face, those of space and resources and time and ability. God, having created the heavens and the earth, begins the work here of making a place for humanity, a place for us a place shaped by his love for us, a place that would reflect his glory and his grace. And so over the next few minutes, we're going to look at four aspects of this place God is preparing. As we explore the Garden of Eden, the first question that might come to mind if we're saying we're traveling to these locations is, where is it? And like all the places we're going to visit in the coming weeks, what we're going to find is that what's most important about these places is not their physical location, but God's presence there and what he was doing. But if we were trying to locate the Garden of Eden on a map, the clues we get in verses 10 through 14 would point to a location somewhere around modern-day Iraq. But again, this is a place that's important, first of all, because it is a place of presence. God's presence is the primary feature of the Garden of Eden, to the point that it is really just assumed in the verses we read from the very beginning. God was there. He's the one who planted the garden. He's the one who caused the trees to spring up. He's the one who put the man and the woman there. He was the one who was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What made the Garden of Eden so significant is the presence of God. Theologian Alan Ross writes of the garden, he said, it was where the Lord God walked in the midst of his creation, where the man and the woman had immediate access to God in a perfect environment before they rebelled. It was the place of God's presence on earth. 
It's a place specifically prepared for men and women made in the image of God to live in relationship with him, to reflect his character and join in his creative purpose. The presence of God, it's one of those realities that changes everything else. Maybe you've known someone like that in your life to some extent, that person, whether a parent or spouse or friend or family member, who you would say things are just different when they're around. Things are just as they should be when that person is in the room. The creation narrative of Genesis 1 points us to the power of God, but what we see unfolding here in chapter 2 reveals that the presence of God isn't just about his power and his strength, but it's also about the peace of his presence. The description of Genesis 2 tells us the presence of God is what is at the center of paradise, which church tells a different story than the one we're tempted to believe and to, to live. Paradise isn't defined by my pleasure or preferences or power or purpose. My presence isn't essential to what makes the Garden of Eden paradise, but God's presence is. We were created to live in the presence of a God who is determined to dwell with his people. We see that begins in Genesis, but it continues in the Exodus with the tabernacle, then with the temple. The God who's present in the garden is one we hear speaking to his people throughout history. He's a God who keeps drawing near to his people. Ultimately, he's the one who would take on flesh in the person of Jesus to dwell among us. And so what was true in Eden is still true today. God prepares a place for us, a place of his presence, a place where we can hear his voice, a place where he hears our needs and acknowledges our needs and directs our path. It's a place we can know God personally. That's what we find as we visit the Garden of Eden, a place of presence. Second, though, it is a place of provision. What's it? First, it was a place in verse 5 of no vegetation or any signs of life. It quickly becomes this place, this flourishing garden with this abundance of plants and, and life. God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathes life into his nostrils, providing life. And then we see God providing everything needed to sustain that life, plants that were pleasant to look at, but also that were good for food. And there in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And all of these plants, they're watered, it's, we're told, by a river flowing out of the garden, dividing into four rivers. And so we see this abundance in every aspect of the Garden of Eden. There was nothing that the man needed that God did not provide. In fact, we see God was not only present in relationship with his people, but he also created the opportunity for us to have relationships with one another. So the chapter two ends with a summary. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What's clear from that statement is that the Garden of Eden was a place where the man and woman had everything they needed. It was a place where every need was met without struggle and without shame. Even where God acknowledges in verse 18 that it isn't good for man to be alone, he immediately provides a solution the place God prepares is a place where every need we have is anticipated and met. It's a description that also points us to the persistent providence of God throughout the Bible. When his people were enslaved he, in Egypt, he provided a way out. When his people were wandering in the wilderness, he provided them with food that they needed. When his people were needing direction, he would show up and speak to them. And so what's clear as the story of the Bible continues is what's made clear in the Garden of Eden, that nothing exists apart from the providence of God. As James would later write, every good and perfect gift is from above. The God we worship is our great provider, and the place he prepares for us is a place 
of provision. It's a presence provision. And third, it's a place of purpose. We can't miss, first of all, the purpose of God as we look at that description of Genesis chapter 2. It's clear God's not just taking things and haphazardly throwing things together here. Since we're talking about vacation this morning, summer vacation, and I don't think this will surprise you all that much, but one of the things I like to do on a road trip is to be the one who packs the car because there's a purpose to it and there's a plan that I have in my mind at least of how all these things are going to fit together. You don't just start taking bags or items and throwing them in and expect that it's all going to fit the way it needs to or that it's all going to line up and you're still going to be able to see out the rearview mirror and all those things. There needs to be intentionality, plan, and purpose. And we see that here in Genesis chapter 2. We see God working with this meticulous placement of plants and rivers and precious stones. There is clearly an order, a plan, a purpose that God has for the place that he is preparing. The place where he would dwell with his people, where he would provide for his people. A place that would perfectly reflect who he is. And so we see God's purpose all over the Garden of Eden, but we also, as we look, see our own purpose. Verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. It's the second time we read that God put the man in the garden. The first time in verse 8 pointed us to God's presence and his provision. This time it points us to God's purpose for his people. It's a vision of meaningful and productive work tending the place that God had prepared for us without pain or hardship, just the joyful satisfaction of work that matters. This is one of those kind of great mysteries as we look at the scriptures that we already said God is the provider who deserves all the glory and honor and praise, but yet he also gives us the dignity of meaningful responsibility. Both of those things are true. And what's clear here is that the purpose God has given us comes with certain parameters, a particular time and a particular place. And as we think about that this morning, it's a reminder for us that we are here in a particular time, a particular place as well, and that God has a purpose for us in the life that he's given us to live. And like the first man and woman, God has spoken to us about what that purpose is and about the parameters of our lives. As with presence and provision, God's purpose also we see continue to unfold throughout the Bible with the people who he's calling to serve the Lord and others in meaningful ways that point to his glory and goodness. In Acts chapter 17, as Paul stood before the Areopagus, we see some words that reflect well what we read in Genesis 2, Acts 17, verse 24. Paul would say, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. Sounds a lot like the picture that we saw painted in Genesis 2 of a God preparing a place of provision, presence, and purpose, times and places allotted by God with the purpose that we would seek him and know him, that we would walk in the way he's prepared for us, that we would experience his presence as the joy that it is and the blessing that it is instead of experiencing it with 
shame or fear. Yet as we read Genesis 2, you probably have the feeling, rightly so, that we're not in Eden anymore. The peace of God's presence, his perfect provision, the clarity of purpose that we see there in Genesis 2 are not ways we would describe the world in which we live today. And Genesis 3 tells us why. Because Adam and Eve rejected God's provision, purpose, and presence. The story continues in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. God's purpose was clear. His parameters were straightforward. One tree, just don't eat that one. And yet, we see Adam and Eve following the serpent down the path, questioning God's purpose and even his motives, right? Did he really say that? Well, that's not for your good that he said that. It's just because he knows then you'll be on his level. And so in a place where God's provision was perfect, where every need was met, Adam and Eve wanted something more. And so every tree was theirs except for one, but that was the one they had to have. And so they rejected God's provision. They rejected his peace. They rejected his purpose. And so instead of walking peacefully in God's presence, we find them hiding from him, naked and afraid. This is where we begin to learn in Genesis chapter 3 that in addition to being our creator, our provider, and our sustainer, God is also our redeemer. Because in the face of rebellion and rejection, Genesis three fourteen records God's response and the promise of God to his people. It says, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Because of their sin and their rebellion, Adam and Eve were displaced from the place God had prepared for them. In nearly every way, their lives were worse because of their rejection of God, broken fellowship with their creator, difficulty in work, painful toil replaced the perfect provision they'd experienced before. And we see and we feel these realities every day in the face of extreme poverty, the wickedness of racism, the perversion of God-given purposes in sickness and disease, in any place where we see 
God's good gifts twisted for selfish reasons and gains. The place we find ourselves in after Eden is corrupted in almost every way by the fall of Genesis 3. It's merely a shadow of what it was. And yet, God's promise echoes throughout the story of the Bible that the serpent would be crushed and that humanity would be restored. There's one thing about this world that didn't change after the fall. The God who made it. He was then and is today a God who keeps his promises, a God whose purposes don't change and never fail. And so we may not be in Eden anymore, but God is still a God who desires to prepare a place for us, who's determined to be present with us, to provide for us, to offer purpose to his people. This morning, we could each testify to troubles we face those caused by our own decisions, those caused by the decisions of others, or those that are just part of this life we live. But into our trouble and pain and rebellion, God sent his son, who would never rebel against his father and never reject his place in this world. And near the end of his life, Jesus would tell his disciples in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Eden is only the beginning of the story of our God who prepares a place for us. Though sin altered what God originally created, the work of Jesus means we can be restored to the place that God had for us that he has for us. So sin separates us from the presence of God. Jesus promises a place where we can be with him forever. As I said earlier, where we start doesn't necessarily determine where we end up, but it can determine the path required to get there. The scriptures teach us that living according to our own plans and purposes instead of God's is sin, and that sin separates us from God's presence and ultimately from his provision. The scriptures in our own experience teach us Teach us that each of us, since the fall, are born into sin, seeking our own glory instead of God's and the good of ourselves over the good of others. We can look around us and see what that produces. But God is still a promise-keeping God. Jesus offers each of us the opportunity to once again walk in God's purposes and to enjoy his presence. And so in that same chapter of John, Jesus would tell us not only that he's the one who's preparing a place for us, but that he is the way to get to that place. The question for us today is, are we trusting in him? Are we walking with him, following him today? John chapter 15, Jesus would begin to describe another garden. This one not in Eden, but this one, wherever people trust in Jesus and are abiding in him. He would say, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. No matter who you are or where you've been or where you are today, there is a place for you with Jesus. A place of provision, purpose, 
and the promise of God's presence. And the way there is clear. It's not about you working your way back into God's good graces. It's about you abiding, resting, and trusting in Jesus, that he is the way. It's about turning from sin and trusting in him and following him into eternity. And so I'll ask you today, have you made that decision in your life? Have you trusted in Jesus today? Are you abiding in him? Are you following him? If not, there is a place for you with Jesus. And then Christian, today I would pray that as we look at Genesis chapter 2, as we look at the Garden of Eden, I pray that this would be an encouraging reminder for us today that God is preparing a place for us, a place that's filled with the light of his presence, the goodness of his provision, the joy of his purpose, and the fulfillment of every promise. And so that even when this life is hard, and it is, we would know that there's nowhere better to be than walking with Jesus, who laid down his life for ours and was raised on the third day. We know that when Jesus was raised on that third day, he began to appear to to those who had known him before his crucifixion. And on the day he was resurrected, Mary Magdalene was there in the garden where his tomb was, and she presumed Jesus to still be dead at first, right? She presumed that his body must have been stolen because he wasn't there in the tomb. But she saw Jesus standing there, and so she just mistook him for the gardener. But then she heard him speak her name, Mary. And then it's, we're told, she knew that she'd seen the Lord. She knew the voice of Jesus. Christian, the good news today is that same voice that Mary heard has called your name as well. He's begun to prepare a place for you to be with him for all of eternity. And so today, the call is to trust him and believe him, to follow him, until we see with our own eyes the place that he's preparing for us. Heavenly Father, today we thank you that you are a God who has prepared a place for us, God, who even now through Jesus is preparing that place for us. And so we ask today that you would help us to to just keep our eyes fixed on the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. God, one who, the one who Mary mistook for the gardener, God, but the one who died in our place and has been raised, that we would have hope and peace, the hope and peace that would cause us to gather here in this place on this day and to to lift our voices together, to sing your praises, type of hope and peace that would uh, cause us to God, to, to lay down our lives, to, to follow you and to, to live for you and to put the needs of those around us ahead of our own, Lord. We pray that our lives would reflect the purpose and, um, God, the peace that you have for us, God, that we would reflect who you are and the way that we live as we follow you, God. And I pray that those in this room or who have joined us online today that have never placed their faith in you, Jesus, that today would be a day where they would uh, hear, you, hear you calling their name, and that they would answer that call to to follow you and to trust you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.